You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 285 of Podcateers. This week we recap some of the animated films released by the Disney Company in 2019. The popularity of Baby Yoda brings some new merchandise? Did you know that many years ago there was a flying dragon at Walt Disney World? Well, we may see something take flight again in honor of an attraction opening very soon. Disney announces four new After Dark events. Plus, we talk a little bit about COPA, the Child Online Protection Act, and how it may deter us and other Disney-inspired creators from continuing to post on YouTube. We're still learning about this and things are changing as we record this, but it is worrying a lot of creators. Remember that you can always join the conversation by giving us your thoughts on anything that we talk about by either leaving a comment on the blog post for the episode or by connecting with us on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. This holiday season, we'll be offering free shipping on all Podcateers gear orders over $35. No coupon is required. It'll just adjust itself during checkout. Our rendition of a not-so-ugly sweater for the holiday season is up now. If you'd like to check it out or any of the other products that we have for sale, you can go to podcateers.com gear. Another great way to support the podcast is by using our Amazon link this holiday season. This won't cost you anything extra, but it will give us a small commission from Amazon as a thank you for mentioning them on this podcast. To help us out, all you have to do is head over to podcateers.com Amazon before your next purchase. Click on the big Amazon button on that page and then just shop like you normally would. Amazon will take care of the rest. To everyone using the link, we just want to say thank you. We truly appreciate that added support. Finally, the best way to support what we do is by doing what listeners just like you are already doing. Those listeners are a special group of folks called the FGP Squad, also known as our podcast, Fairy Godparents. It's the FGP Squad's monthly support via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. And if you want to be part of that elite crew, you can find out more information on how to sign up by going to podcateers.com FGP. To all of the members of the FGP Squad, you're awesome. Thank you so much, as always, for your continued support. All right, uh, we're going to get this episode going. Thank you all for taking the time to listen. We really do appreciate you taking time out of your day. So here we go. Here is episode 285 of Podcateers. I should start by publicly apologizing to both of you for being in my robe today. But <laughs> nah. as as you know, it's super cold. <laughs> as as yeah. you can feel, it's super cold. And I mean, you know, not probably not the way I would have wanted either of you to ever see me. But Gavin, you're gonna have to Dude. contain yourself. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, if you had not said it was a robe, I thought you were wearing a hoodie, dude. Like, I, oh. I would not have known. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. All I can see is your shoulders, man. Like, I, I yeah. can't tell that's a robe. Oh, well, You're that's good. good. That's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. Um, so I won't stand up then. All right, cool. Thank you. I won't stand up <laughs> so you don't see the rest of the robe. Hey, I'm wearing something underneath. <laughs> You're acting like I got nothing under this. I got... I got clothes oh, underneath uh, here. That's funny. 
It has been cold here. Like now, let's let's um, let's put a, a precursor on that. It's or a qualifier on that. It's California cold. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, shout out to all you people who have real winter out there. But for <laughs> those of us Californians, and I consider myself one now, I'm fully acclimated. Uh, it's cold out here, man. It's like in the fifties. Uh, we went to Disneyland on Thanksgiving and it was raining cats and dogs and it was about 50 degrees the whole time. And basically we got hypothermia and almost died. Damn. Yeah. It was rough. (laughs) It was rough. We lasted about four and a half hours, but we had fun. We had turkey dinner in the park and it was great. Where'd you end up having the dinner? Uh, we went to Flo's. Oh, yeah. I love flows for their just awesome traditional diner feel. Um, Also, it's in Cars Land, which, as we all know, is my favorite place. So, like, it just made sense for us to go there. There was lots of other options. We thought about maybe going to Carnation Cafe. Uh, We also thought about trying the um, turkey dinner Monte Cristo that they were doing at the Cafe Orleans. Mm. But uh, we ultimately went with our old standby flows and it was awesome. They had pumpkin pie there um, as dessert. And it was basically like a six inch mini pumpkin pie. It was so amazing. Wow. Yeah, it was really, really good. How were the lines? I would not call it busy. So it was the kind of crowd level where if it was on a beautiful day, it would have been paradise. But since it was a miserable day at that crowd level, it was kind of like, ah, well, what's the point? If it's not you know, totally empty today, then there's no point. So after a while, we got cold enough and just decided to leave. Um, it was difficult because most of the people were uh inside so like if you wanted to go into a store to shop around it was wall-to-wall people because everybody Mm. was taking shelter Uh. and if you wanted to get food and sit down inside a restaurant there was a million people in there just taking cover and not eating so it was really really hard to find seats and you know basic stuff like that which was kind of annoying so uh yeah all in all we had the most fun we could on a day like that and then went home interesting Yep. Yeah, that Monte Cristo sounds really good, but I I love the Monte Cristo mm-hmm. from uh, French Market. It's one of my favorite meals to eat there. Mm-hmm. But I have to admit that even though I can pack in the food, that is a hard meal to finish, man, because it oh, is yeah. so rich and just it's so gooey with all the cheese and so delicious. It already puts me to sleep just eating a little <laughs> over half of it. Yep. Having the the turkey in there would not have made it any easier. Yeah. Question, how many turkey legs did you see in the wild? Uh, on that rainy day? Yeah. Um, quite I'm just a few. curious because it's Thanksgiving. I'm like, I wonder how many people had yeah. turkey ah, legs in their hands. Quite yeah, a few. I, I mean, I feel like uh, it was a standard turkey leg kind of day. I don't feel like it was more than, than usual. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I think all of the carts, like the turkey stand and the, um, churro stand and popcorn stand, they were getting the least amount of business, I think, because you had to stand outside in the rain in line for those, Ah, you know, yeah, but I did see my, my fair share of turkey legs. That's cool. There's a, a video that I just watched this last week from Rob plays and he was talking about the myth 
that the turkey legs are not emu and <laughs> and how it kind of picked up steam and why people started you know the thinking that it was emu to begin with oh my god uh, he's he, he's got really interesting videos i'll post it in the blog post for the episode just head over to podcasters.com slash 285 if you want to check that out so quick shout out to rob uh and his youtube channel and his videos it's a great channel if you're not subscribed you should totally subscribe to it you know what now that we're on the subject of youtube i want to make a quick mention of it because there's some stuff going on with YouTube that may or may not affect us. Mm. And I wanted to throw it out there because we're a couple of weeks away from this major change happening and then being implemented on January 1st. So if you haven't heard yet, uh, a lot of YouTubers are freaking out right now because years ago, the COPA was passed and COPA is the Child Online Protection Act. It was essentially designed to protect children from viewing, uh, from data being collected on children when they're on the internet, you know, certain cookies aren't collected and anyone under the age of 13 was subject to be protected under this law. Things like YouTube Kids came from this law. And unfortunately, YouTube slash Google, who owns YouTube, was recently fined uh, by the FTC for violating COPA. And it was possibly the biggest fine that they've ever given out to any company. And so in turn, YouTube said, okay, we are going to allow people to mark their channels and or videos as child-friendly or not child-friendly, which when you think about that, it sounds great, right? Because then you're mm -hmm. properly marking your videos. However, that's the only two options that are available to you. There's no general audience option. There's no middle ground. If you mark your channel adult only, you run the risk of a child finding your content because it appeals to them. And per video, you could be fined over $42,000 by the FTC if they find you have violated COPA. Whoa. So this is not YouTube getting fined. This is not Google getting fined. This is the creator getting fined by the hmm. FTC. And that's a huge amount. That's life-changing money for most people. Yeah, uh, We've always said we're minivan friendly, right? Because we, mm -hmm. we don't use bad language. You know, we try to keep it as clean as possible because we want to appeal to a very large audience. But in general, we're not geared towards children. However, our subject matter could appeal to children. And mm -hmm. because of that, we fall into the child-friendly category. Being child-friendly on YouTube poses a huge issue for a lot of creators because uh, one thing that we've always wanted to be able to do is concentrate on just creating content for YouTube. And we started planning out a bunch of videos and segments and stuff, but now we're at risk of not being able to implement any of that because being child-friendly means you can't monetize, you don't get end cards, you lose the community information tab in YouTube, you lose comments on your videos. It's basically just a video that's floating around on YouTube with no interaction, no anything, really. You know, we yeah. were struck down by YouTube uh, maybe earlier this year. They enacted some policy changes that finally hit us. 
that we couldn't monetize because we didn't have at least a thousand followers yet and because we didn't have x amount of hours of view time even posting the podcast on youtube is now at risk because it falls under this weird gray area that youtube has yet to fully define so there's a lot of people talking about Copa. There's a lot of people uh, in the Disney community that make Disney-related content that may not continue doing it because of it. There is a petition going around to kind of lobby for some changes from YouTube because when the FTC first presented Copa, I want to say it was back in 2012, they actually allowed like a general audience option that allowed you to flag your channel as gen audience. And if you were flagged as such, you weren't subject to the fee or fine rather. Right. YouTube, I think in a way to protect themselves said, we don't want this middle ground. We don't want the gray area. It's either on or off and let the creator deal with it because it was a severely heavy fine for them. Whether or not we continue putting our videos on YouTube, I'm, I'm still trying to figure all of that out at this moment. I, I, I thought about possibly making all of the videos FGP only, right? Because through Patreon, we could upload videos, but then it requires subscriptions to other video services that are hundreds of dollars a year. And so I just kept trying to figure out exactly what to do going forward. The The videos can't live on podcasters.com because we would quickly run out of space and then we'd also have to pay more money for hosting fees. So it's, it's this weird spot that we're in right now because we want to create content for you. We just don't know where it's going to live or how we're going to do it. I want to make this clear. The podcast itself will continue to be distributed the same way that you're listening to it. This only affects YouTube. So any videos that are up now, uh, unfortunately, until we figure out what to do with them, I'm going to have to toggle our channel over to child friendly. But a lot of the notes, a lot of the links, a lot of the end cards are going to just be gone. Any comments that you've ever left for us will be gone. Uh, any type of interaction with us will be gone until either YouTube allows the additional options. But until then, I, I'm not sure if we're going to continue with YouTube, uh, especially considering that it was already kind of an uphill battle for us because we, mm -hmm. we didn't hit certain requirements for them. It's something that I've been dealing with for the last week or trying to deal with with all the other stuff that's been going on. Uh, I know we have a lot of creator friends that fall into this as well. Mm -hmm. And some of those friends uh, just they make their living off of this, yeah. you know, so it's a little scary. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting videos about COPA, the law. Uh, I'm going to put some of those up in the blog post as well. So if you if you want to learn a little bit more about it, please check out the blog post for this episode. Podcasters.com slash 285. And you'll get a little bit more information about what's going on, how it's going to affect some of these people. You know, thankfully, we have the FGP squad that kind of helps, you know, push the podcast forward. But if there's creators out there that you really enjoy and you want them to continue creating, figure out how you want to support them. If you want to support us, becoming part of the FGP squad is the best way to do it. And uh, yeah, 
you know, I, I guess we'll kind of keep you posted on what exactly happens. But were you guys aware of what's happening on YouTube? Or do you not live on YouTube as much as I do? I've, I've heard of some of it. I've heard of, um, gosh, this is bad. I watch a lot of drama channels. So, I mean, eventually the subject came up and I learned about it. Um, I don't, they talked about a specific person that I don't really know about, but there's talks of people actually leaving and those who have like millions of s subscribers and whatnot. Yeah, right now it's like everyone's scrambling. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Like everyone's scrambling to figure out what to do because we don't know what the future holds. Right. Um, I just hope, you know, something comes up where it's like, it's not just this or that. Like there's some modifications in what you could put, like what you could say you are or whatnot. Because it's kind of sad. Yeah. You know, these people, they, they live off of, off of it and create more content. It's like a full circle. So it's like to stop that is like you're stopping everything. Yeah. Every, no one wins. I uh, am going to reveal my old man side here a little bit. Uh, everybody should be very familiar with this at this point. But uh, I f am very confused by a lot of this. Uh, I don't get on YouTube unless it's an embedded video and something else I'm reading. You know, it'll take me to YouTube to watch a video or whatever. I had heard of this issue, but I don't understand what the big problem is or what is the detracting effect of just marking your stuff not kid-friendly to protect yourself like what's wrong with that if you don't mark yourself as kid-friendly and a child happens to find your video and cookies and information are captured that show that a child was watching your video then you will be fined 42,000 plus dollars for that video but you marked it as not kid-friendly uh, is it correct. either marking it as kid-friendly <clears throat> so or not marking it at all? Or is it marking it kid-friendly or marking it not kid-friendly? It, it's one or the other. It's either yeah, not so kid-friendly or kid-friendly. if you mark it kid not kid-friendly, doesn't that protect you from these fines? No. You've, because no, it's oh. so gray. Someone could find you. Yeah. It's so, oh, so, so here's the other issue. Then YouTube will be crippled. Oh, yeah. And, Everyone and that's will the problem. Leave. That they'll, if, have to, yeah. they'll have to change this. This can't stand. So if you're marked kid-friendly you will not be able to search for that video. It will not come up in search. So let's say that uh, people go to YouTube to search for podcasters. By marking our YouTube channel uh, kid-friendly, we won't be in the search results. We won't be recommended in any other videos. Basically, Wait, by marking it not kid-friendly? By marking it kid-friendly. So if you we, mark it kid-friendly, nobody can search for it? Yeah, you cannot find it. So wait, so there's a, not a benefit either way then. You're exactly. screwed either way. Right. And that's the problem. That's why then people are complaining about it. let's bounce, y'all. This is dumb. Uh -huh. Like YouTube's going to have to change. Yeah, that's the biggest issue. That it's, it, And this is this is cause of, because of new legislation? Well, it's not new. It's been around for years. The only difference is they're that- They're just enforcing it now? They're enforcing it because YouTube was fined <laughs> very heavily for, uh, for violating uh, COPA. Or COPPA, whatever you want to call it. I, I call it COPPA. <clears throat> this so, is um, uh, this is the uh, more of the slow dismantling of the amazing free space that used to be the internet. And the idea behind it, which made it so great, is being eroded. 
um, by rules and regulations. It should be a free open space for discovery, for expression, for communication. Yeah, bad people are going to use it for bad things. But I mean, like, yeah, it's not everybody's responsibility to protect everybody from everything. You know, yep. like I, I think this is overreach to me and it sucks, but I would honestly then I think everybody with content that they care about should pull it from YouTube and a change will have to happen. And that's the biggest issue that people are facing, right? Like if you pull your content from YouTube, where are you going to go? Like what's the competitor? Yeah. No, I, I the, get it. The only other competitor out there is Vimeo and Vimeo is very heavily priced for a common creator. We can't do Vimeo yearly. You know what this reminds me of? What's that? You remember that <laughs> when everybody was bailing and jumping onto this new Instagram competitor for like a week? Oh gosh. <laughs> what was that one called? <laughs> It was oh, a v, um, v something, right? Vero. Vero, Vero yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then everybody's like, ah, never mind. We'll just yeah. do it with Instagram. <laughs> well, I mean, Vero lacked a whole bunch of features that I think people oh, yeah. wanted to see that made it familiar for them, like Instagram. But, I mean, this is this is different, right? Things mm -hmm. have to change mm -hmm. because the biggest issue with how this is currently being set up is that it doesn't protect children, like the way that it's currently set up, it does not protect children. The There needs to be certain measures put in place to make sure that it's not or or is a child that's viewing this video. Mm -hmm. You know, I, so I'm sorry, but that's not YouTube's responsibility. It's I, not. I hate it's, the abdication of responsibility. It, this is this is not yeah. good. But see, but there should be a balance, right? Because I think it's really difficult to find a middle ground on how to protect children especially when it comes to something like this like i said for us it doesn't really heavily affect us because we weren't at a stage where we were making money from youtube we basically right. lost all monetization features we lost everything when youtube changed their policies late last year and said hey look if you don't have a thousand use or a thousand subscribers you don't get any of this anymore and that was a huge blow to us because we had just started kind of picking up traction and then we got buried in the algorithm and so people couldn't find us again anymore we weren't being recommended all of a sudden so, like I said, this isn't necessarily going to affect us, at least not now, but it is going to affect how we share content going forward because I enjoy making vlogs. They're, they're a long process because I put a lot into them sometimes, but honestly, that's one of my favorite things to do, editing video and putting these little mini movies together. I had started editing the vlog when we went to... Uh, the festival of holidays and we were trying all that food a couple weeks ago and i had to think twice like i just e uploaded all of the the episodes that were missing from the youtube channel so that we were completely caught up as of two weeks ago and then i learned about this because youtube flagged it and said hey by the way are you using our new uploader that requires you to market like this because of our policy changes and that's when i started learning more about it and and so now i i don't know like i i almost don't feel a need to continue on youtube after this if things don't change you know yeah. the the bigger content creators they might be fine i don't know exactly but reviews 
unboxings, toy channels, collector channels, you know, where they collect toys, they collect anything. Some of the Pokemon YouTubers that we watch, like everyone's being affected. And Mm -hmm. we're not about to start cursing. We're not about to do any of that to make it non-child friendly just to be able to stay on YouTube. That's not where our main audience is right now. And so we're not going to change that. So I just want to make that clear. If you want to help and you want to sign the petition so that changes happen, again, that will be over at podcasters.com slash 285 if you want to help the fight. Uh, also, some videos about what COPA is and how it's affecting some of the creators will also be on there. And if you have any questions, please reach out to us. We'll try to direct you in in uh, in a direction where you might be able to find some of those answers as well. So on that happy note <laughs> so let's move on I, I just need to voice some dissatisfaction about this because i'm a little confused as to yeah. why something didn't happen now that i'm all fired up so baby yoda yeah i'm i finally saw the first three episodes of the mandalorian and let me tell you wow Right? Just yeah. wow. How about that production yeah. quality? Oh, Beautiful. it is so uh-huh. well made. The story flows so well, and it mm-hmm. has a lot of substance to the story. This feels like a real-life day in the life mm-hmm. of a Mandalorian, and it, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I'm loving that aspect of it. I saw that episode four is now available. I haven't seen yeah. it yet, but oh, awesome. I'm so excited. So, back to Baby Yoda. I'm sure that you've seen yes. on social media the craze that Baby Yoda created where, of you know, course. you saw this these pictures all over the internet. There was all these memes that were created, and it was really one specific photo inside of the little backpack or inside of the sorry, um the the floating the cradle. carrier cradle thing, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like this kind of three-quarter view of Baby Yoda, and the internet exploded. It basically melted in place. Um, so then Shop Disney posted a bunch of merchandise. I mean, look, Baby Yoda, you know, it, it's a, it's one of those products that you don't see very often that just kind of explodes and you want to take advantage of as a business. I totally get that. But really, you're going to use the same kind of horrible image that everybody else was using when you have access to the actual puppet right <laughs> like why yeah why uh, yeah was it just because it was familiar to everybody i don't understand the mentality of that like uh, ah, it kind of made me cringe yeah. when i saw it uh-huh. They should have gone all in <laughs> on the fact that this follows Return of the Jedi. So that would place us in like the mid 1980s if this had been released in a timely sense. Yes. They should go all in on that 80s retro Star Wars look for all of their merchandising right now. Yeah. Because everybody's obsessed with the 80s and 90s right now. Uh, we're going to talk about it in a bit. Even Disneyland's getting in on the action. But. They should go all in on that and not do photography meme stuff. Like that's that's I don't know. To me, that's just cheap, you know, ill thought out merchandise with no real value. Yeah. Yeah. Lazy. Yeah. I'll say yeah, it. Yeah, lazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm just I don't know I don't know why they would even I guess the only thing that would make sense in my head, like I said, is the familiarity of seeing it all over the Internet and thinking, I want this. 
right? Mm-hmm. But like I said, they have access to the actual puppet. They have amazing designers. You know, we know a lot of them. Like, why don't you just get somebody to create some great merchandise? Let me give you a, a great example of how when something picks up steam and and just works, okay? Uh, and it kind of ties into something that's happening this next week at Walt Disney World. And that is, speaking of Star Wars, okay? So on December 6th, Rise of the Resistance is opening at Walt Disney World, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And we are all looking forward to it because it's supposed to be one of the most, most immersive uh, attractions that Disney has ever built, right? This is like an imagineering marvel as it's being touted by some And what's funny about that is that it's almost to the day, seven years after we saw a dragon flying over Walt Disney World for the opening of New Fantasyland. What? I didn't see that. So if you're not familiar with it, on December 6, 2012, there was a flying dragon during the opening of New Fantasyland, and it just looked amazing. It was this fire-breathing dragon, and it was so dark that people didn't really understand what was going on. But during the opening day celebration, it just looked so cool that what looked like Maleficent flying over Walt Disney World was happening, right? And so people lost it. Again, the internet broke. Haven't, if you haven't seen the video, I will post it in the blog post, podcasters.com slash 285, so you can check that out. It was amazing. Wow. When when that happened, there were some images that had leaked because in California, in the desert, where they tend to test new technologies, uh, Imagineering was testing out the flying dragon, and people saw that it had this parachute and this giant fan behind it to help guide it and how people were going to be controlling it so that it was depth perception essentially there was some projections Mm. happening but when that happened with the dragon uh i'm not sure if if he's still at the disney company but uh the social media managing editor gary buchanan uh started writing segments on the disney park blog about this flying dragon being around central florida And to kind of keep up with it, he created a Tumblr blog where he was posting all these doctored photos of Imagineering finding a dragon egg and Imagineering finding these huge footprints that look like a lizard foot in the in the ground. And there was this whole story about how in the 50s, early Imagineers were finding all these remnants of dragons. And all of a sudden, New Fantasyland comes around and boom, we have this flying dragon. And I think towards the end of the Tumblr blog, he stated something like, you know, these dragon sightings are rare. They happen once in a lifetime, but they're never certain to happen again. And it kind of helped explain why since then we've never seen a dragon flying over Walt Disney World again. And I'm mm-hmm. fine with that. It was a special thing. Would I have wanted to see it in person? Absolutely. Oh, I would gosh, have loved yeah. to see that. So now, fast forward seven years later, again, almost to the day, okay, of the opening of New Fantasyland and this flying dragon, it's rumored very heavily, and there's been some testing that there's going to be X-Wings, or at least one X-Wing, flying over Galaxy's Edge during the media preview. What? When Rise of the Resistance opens. And I'm excited about that because it kind of shows that Even though technology doesn't instantly get put in the parks, technology is created and it can be used again in the parks. But one, how cool is it that an X-Wing is going to be flying over Walt Disney World if this 
turns out to be true, and I'm using air quotes at this point. Uh, thoughts on that first? I'm excited. Right? For, sorry. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I couldn't even hold it. No, I'm excited for them. I really am. When they opened Galaxy's Edge over there, they didn't have the huge reception that we did over here. So they get some excitement. I'm excited for them. I can't wait to see footage. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I can't quite picture how this, uh, what this is actually that's going to fly over. Like you're talking about force perspective and projections. And it seems to me like we've got like, drone technology where they could actually fly a decently sized actual x-wing over that area yeah like, so I, why does it have to be like layers of effects I, I don't understand to keep it light so they are using drone technology in order to fly the x-wing okay so it's drones carrying an x-wing like from cables below I, it or something i don't think it's being carried by cables like the dragon was i, I think the x-wing actually has darker drones attached to the wings itself and in certain areas that help it float and will help ah. guide it. But it's essentially a wireframe of an X-Wing. It's not a full X-Wing because it would be mm -hmm. too heavy. It would require, it would have to meet certain requirements in order for it not to be an actual airplane being flown versus a drone being flown. Right. Mm. So it's essentially a wireframe of an X-Wing from some of the photos that have kind of leaked. I, I know I, I it sounds like I'm kind of contradicting myself because we don't like give in to the rumors. But I wanted to talk about this only because, one, it's super exciting. And two, because it's not new technology. This is something that they use for the dragon in New Fantasyland. Mm -hmm. They're just changing the cage of what's flying to sim like to look like an X-wing. And then there's going to be projections that essentially layer underneath it that make it look like an X-wing is flying around just to keep it light. But I mean, I think this is great. I think they should start using this a little bit more just in general. But to go back to the original topic, the dragon situation is kind of the way I would feel is a better way to embrace what happens on social media and how things go viral, right? Like you said, Gavin, they should completely embrace it and go with the full 80s theme and create these mm -hmm. designs that really float back to that era and remind you of it, especially considering that Disney Plus has already triggered, you know, that dopamine fix, you know, <laughs> with, with all the Disney <laughs> afternoon stuff and everything right. that that they've posted for us to watch. I mean, it just, it seems like a no brainer. Yeah, I, I agree. I love this idea. I, uh, this might be the very next time that I uh, actually get on YouTube is to watch this X-Wing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm sorry that I went on a rant there. It's just, it was bothering me that, you know, that this happened. So anyhow, Speaking of stuff that Disney's doing, they have officially announced the next four Disney After Night of, or Disney After Dark events that will be happening in 2020. In January, we're going to be getting 80s Night. In February, we're getting Sweethearts Night again. March 5th, we're having Pixar Night at California Adventure. And April 30th, we're getting Villains Night at California Adventure as well. First of all, uh, after not, after dark events have I, I forget have either of you been to an after dark event? Nope. 
I found out too late that Charlie was interested in 90s uh, night last year. So we missed out on tickets for that. We were we would have gone to that if we could have. The only thing um, close to that that we've attended is the Halloween party. And we also went to that Haunted Mansion 50th anniversary party. Right. Um, so not exactly a Disneyland after dark, but, you know, those are both kind of in the same realm of things. Um, so I, I feel like we've got enough exposure to kind of get what they do. Okay. So with that said, knowing the themes of the upcoming four after dark events and knowing your experience for the ones that you've attended, how likely are you to attend each of these? Um, if any. Zero likely. For any of them. Yeah, I don't. I don't think any of the I think with the one exception of maybe the villains one might be interesting only because I personally am a little burned out on the Halloween party at this point. You know, I've gone six or seven years in a row and it's pretty samey. So I would kind of maybe hope that they would really um, because as I told you guys on our podcast where I reviewed this year's Halloween party it didn't really focus on villains as much. Um, and I feel like that was missing. So maybe this night will. Um, but that being said, I honestly, because I'm an annual pass holder, I feel like I pay enough money to go to the park. Like I don't want to pay hundreds of dollars for extra events. Like I get enough Disney and you know, if I had a low tier pass or if I was only going once or twice a year, I could see this as a value because it's also your park ticket for like half the day as well. Um, but as an annual pass holder, I don't necessarily see a ton of value in it. So uh, we probably won't be going to any of these. What about you, Mel? I would pass on all of them. I mean, the one that would be tempting is the villains um, night. Mm-hmm. And that one is actually like a week after my birthday, but for how many hours? What, four, I believe? I'd rather go to a Halloween party and get to the park three hours earlier mm-hmm. and enjoy more time for what I would pay. Yeah. Which I was kind of like, really? Villains? I mean, yes, I love villains. I do. Um, I mean, I love Halloween screams. I got to see it many times this year. I mean, I got my fix. So I don't see myself running to see the, the you know, this night or getting tickets. Right. Um, 80s sounds fun. But then I'm like, nah, if they're going to, I mean, they're showcasing that they're bringing back uh, Videopolis yeah. Yeah. for one night, yeah. which is cool. But I'm like, eh. It's not my, oh, that that sold me. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, if you guys are excited for it, cool, cool, cool. It's just, no, not for me. Yeah. And then Pixar Night, eh, I got DCA. It's all good. (laughs) Is is there a theme that they could pick that would make you guys definitely want to buy a ticket? Like, is there a specific, like, Hazen, if they did Avengers Night, would, would that be something you'd be interested in? Um... I don't know. I think it really depends on what's going to be happening because mm-hmm. like I, I think you both 
have kind of stated a few things that are true for a lot of people, right? It, one thing that I think hits truest for a large part of our listener base is we're already paying enough to go to the park to have to pay another $300 plus, you know, for these events. And the after the after dark events aren't necessarily $300 the way that the haunted mansion one was, uh, right. they're usually around a hundred dollars per ticket. Right. But when you have a family of four, five, six going, it begins to add up on top of buying the merchandise that's exclusive on top of buying food on top of a lot of other things. And it does begin to make you think twice about whether or not you want to spend that money when you can spend it on, you know, like the Halloween party, for instance, the Halloween party this year, Oogie Boogie Bash, I think was the closest we've seen to Disney really try to change what they do for Halloween here because Mm -hmm. we've always had Mickey's Halloween party at Disneyland and it's always been trick-or-treating walking around Uh, you get the parade and you know cadaver dance and music around the park and it's great you know if you've never Mm -hmm. been to it and if they do it again I would recommend doing it at least once I think it was super fun plus you end up mm-hmm. leaving with 27 pounds of candy which is right. pretty fantastic for the rest of the year um, but this year when they did Oogie Boogie Bash it was I think a test for them to see kind of what they could get away with without people really complaining that they didn't get you know, Mickey's Halloween party and how far they could stretch it at the same time while still keeping that Disney theme. You know, we we had people commenting on when Gavin uh, talked about going to Oogie Boogie Bash. Listener and and friend of the show, Desiree, had said, you know, you totally missed the meet and greet near Grizzly River Run where they had like Prince John and the Sheriff of Nottingham and uh, the Big Bad Wolf, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there was a lot of people that may have been confused with what was and wasn't available because it was brand new, right? People didn't, if they didn't pick up the the map or they didn't pick up where certain things were, you could have missed a whole bunch of stuff. And if they do it next year, I think more people will be familiar with what you can and can't do. And they'll probably add a few more things. Mm -hmm. These nights themselves, it's a DJ party. Dancing with Disney theme music, which they normally have at Tomorrowland Terrace now, you know, and a couple of photo ops that aren't necessarily available. Um, the flashbacks, I think, are possibly the most dangerous thing for Disney to do for these types of events. And the reason I say that is because there's a large sector of people right now that are really clamoring to have the Disney of old back. You know, and because so many changes are coming to the park, there's a lot of people not happy with that. And by doing these flashbacks, it reminds them of what they liked and don't Mm. have anymore. You know, so I think they're great in a sense that for people that never experienced it, you you get a chance to see it for the first time. You get a chance to kind of get a taste of what it was like. But uh, I, I would think that Disney's biggest fight comes with those people that knew what it was like and only get to experience it for one night or don't get to experience it because they don't go to these events. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Avengers night, maybe, maybe depending on what was happening. But if it's just 
a couple of meet and greets and just like a DJ party and just, you know, close the park out. I don't I don't think that would necessarily appeal to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think more yeah. happens when it's not a closed event. Yeah, I I I don't know. I think they're always trying to find ways to do these events and get a little more revenue for special things, but it's probably more interesting to people who aren't there regularly and yeah. who don't pay big dollars for annual passes um, or the people who just go to the park to hang out, you know, that they're not there. There's a lot of people that go because it's where they go, you know, right. it's where they like to hang out. It's they like to do see shows or watch parades or, um, eat food, but they're not there to necessarily absorb the ambiance of the park to um, enjoy the attractions, um, to really uh, experience it the same way that we do. Yeah. So I feel like maybe yeah. those people would be interested in this because it's like a, a a party on their social calendar, you know, and that's fine. That's I mean, there's a lot of people that that's the enjoyment they get out of the park. Groovy. I'm cool with that. Uh, It's just not for me. Yeah. There's something I noticed that I think Disney really missed the mark. For March, they could have done an indie theme uh, night Mm. because indie turns 25 next year. Mm -hmm. And even if the ride were to be down because it's going to have, you know, major refurbishments, Disney could have listened and had us go walk through the attraction or something like they did beforehand. Mm -hmm. That may have gotten me to go you know if it was centered based in Adventureland cool if they had something I mean I think they could have done it instead of Pixar um yeah I mean we already had Pixar Fest like not that long ago yeah Yeah. exactly and if I mean March it's like come on that's when it opens all that jazz but who's to say that something isn't going to come up you know, it is yeah. uncharacteristic to, of them to not start promoting it a couple months in advance. But who's to say we're not going to see something in January or early February for it, right? Mm-hmm. With with limited amount of tickets available. But yeah, I think I think you hit on a really great point, Gavin. That maybe these events really are meant for the people that don't come to the park very often. Mm-hmm. I I had never really considered that because when the when the events happen if you're already paying for a ticket to get in it's about the cost of uh, an admission ticket to get in granted you are limited to the amount of hours that you can be in the park Mm -hmm. but if you really just want to ride a bunch of attractions it's one of the best times to do it because for these events there's no lines for anything it, everything is right. literally yeah. a walk-on. So if you just wanted to be there for some photographs and for a couple of meet and greets and just ride everything in five hours, it seems like a really good opportunity to do it. And I just want to make it clear that we're not telling you don't do these events. I think for many people, they are worth it and they are oh, fun. Yeah. It's just I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I think you still you made really good points, Gavin, that make me feel that that's possibly why I don't want to go to these events Mm -hmm. because I'm there often enough that I don't feel that there's enough special to them that make me want to go. You know what I mean? Yep. I totally do. 
But I mean, we want to hear what you have to say about this. You know, if you've ever been to these events, if you've planned on going, if you've ever gone and don't plan on going again, join the conversation over on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. Let us know how you feel about these events and whether or not you'll be attending any of these four coming up in 2020. And more importantly, what kind of value do they bring to you? Because I think that's something that I'd be interested in knowing. Like, what type of value is it? Is it a time value, attraction value, photo op value? Is it just the nostalgia? I'm curious to see where we kind of stand with all of this. So join the conversation. Leave your comments. We'll share those answers in an upcoming episode. Uh, Okay, before we continue, I do want to remind you that this episode of Podcateers is brought to you by a fantastic group of people known as the FGP Squad. The FGP Squad are a group of listeners just like you that help us out with a monthly contribution via Patreon. And if you want more information on how you can become part of the elite few known as the FGP Squad, you can go to podcateers.com slash FGP for more information and a link to sign up for either a one-time or a monthly contribution. To everyone on the FGP Squad that helped make these episodes of Podcateers happen, thank you for your continued support. All right. I think we should jump into our main topic. We've had so much to talk about this episode that it was maybe easy to forget that we had a main topic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this month, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Every month this year, we've been concentrating on a different section of the parks. We've, We've talked about attractions, the history. We've armchair imagineered our way through many sections of Disneyland and California Adventure. But this uh, this month, uh, we want to reflect on a lot of the things that happened in the Disney company. This week, we're going to be reflecting on Disney Pixar animated films and shows. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about what the impact was, how we felt about it, and how we think things might change in the future. So we, we should kick it off, obviously, with possibly one of the biggest openings this year and that was back in june with Mm -hmm. toy story 4 big release uh there was a lot of hype going into this one a lot of marketing um obviously it's pixar's only release this year so uh they put all their eggs in that one toy box to mix metaphors (laughs) (laughs) they put all their Uh, legos in a toy box yeah, it ended up breaking the billion-dollar mark, which is huge for animated films. Only, I think, less than 10 um, animated films have done that so far, although uh, we're about to reach 10 later this year, I believe. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so Toy Story 4 was a big, big hit. Um, for me, I, uh, I honestly would... I think for me, it's defining characteristic is forgettable. I, Interesting. I don't like, I don't know. I watched it and I was like, okay, cool. To me, it's a one timer. I, I can't imagine like really, really desiring to watch it again. Oh, I'm on the opposite end. <laughs> that, really? Hey, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I finally got to see it. So uh, maybe that's why it's fresh in my mind. Okay. But I thought this was the most hilarious one out of all of them. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I found myself laughing so much. Hmm. Um, 
and kind of cringing at some parts. Sure, sure. Because they, they it was really dark. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to see that. I'm glad I didn't see it in theaters because that would have really creeped me out. Yeah. I don't but know. I guess I feel like a lot of the, <laughs> the the humor was really good, but I feel like it's just the same old Toy Story humor. And, you know, we've got it. To me, it's not uh, an endless well. You know, to me, it's like we've we've really explored it all. We've discovered it all with four films. And I don't even know how many short films at this part point, probably like eight, maybe more. Uh, I I don't know. I'm just I'm tired of the Toy Story universe at this point. Like they they made a couple of absolute masterpieces in that franchise. But to just keep going back to the well, I don't know. I you know, we're going to talk about it more with the the Disney release this year. We're just in this whole era of sequels, and it's tiresome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that being said, it was a well-made film. It was beautifully yeah. animated. The animation, you can't, you know, shake a stick at. It, it was gorgeous. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't think it was, um, you know, earth-shattering in any way. Um, and I felt like in a lot of ways it was unnecessary because I do feel like Toy Story 3 capped off the franchise perfectly, gave us a beautiful, wonderful ending where we can just imagine them continuing on (laughs) with Bonnie and, and, you know, off into the sunset, you know, and that was a beautiful way to end the franchise. And then to just, to me, kind of shoehorn this one back in, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I am all for a series of movies if from day one they're intended as a series of movies. But if a movie is successful and then they think, oh, well, we should do a sequel. Let's try and make this story go on. That's when you it loses value for me. Sometimes they can pull it off. OK, you know, but other times like I feel with Toy Story 4, it's like, ah. Uh, this was unnecessary. So I, I want to keep that comment in mind when we talk about Disney's latest release uh, shortly. Um, okay. But keeping with Toy Story 4, I have to agree with you, Melissa, that I found myself laughing at a lot of other parts in this film that I don't think I would have laughed at. However, do you think a lot of it had to do with the humor that felt like it was more intended for adults this time around? Because yes. I think there was a lot of there's a lot of jokes in the Pixar universe that only adults will catch on to. Sure. But they felt more blatant in this one. You know, like a comment yeah. like to infinity and your mom is not something you would hear in a <laughs> Pixar film before. You know, <laughs> so uh, yeah. I think the shock value, <clears throat> I think, had a lot to do with it for a lot of people. Uh, I know when we first talked about it cinematically. I still think this is the best shot one. Uh, There's a lot of shots that aren't traditionally in Toy Story films that they used to Mm -hmm. to tell the story in this one that cinematically I adore in this film. I think the depth of field that they use for a lot of the shots and a lot of the rendering that they use is still so beautiful. Story-wise, I've seen it again since then. And the impact of watching it a second time I feel didn't hit me as hard as it did the first time because I 
like if I watch Toy Story three, every time it gets me. Every time oh, yeah. it gets me. Oh yeah. And oh, this yeah. one. I, when they're I, holding hands yeah. and they go down that river of trash. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's, Every it, time, right? Yeah. <laughs> and this one I saw again and I thought, yeah, it, it's sad. It's a good ending to this movie. Like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like it ends the franchise. I feel like it ends this movie. And yeah. Toy Story 3 does feel like the ending of the franchise. Right. If Toy Story 4 did anything, it's the introduction obviously of a few new characters and that one being Forky primarily. Oh my gosh, yes. Forky has now weirdly become like the the primary character carrying the Toy Story franchise especially on Disney Plus right now mm-hmm. with Forky asks a question. Yep. So, let's jump into that. Forky asks a question, as of the recording of this episode, there are four. What is money? What is a friend? What is art? What is time? What do you guys think of these, first of all? And how? what do you think about Disney leaning on Forky to kind of carry that torch for the Toy Story franchise, at least from what it looks like right now? I'm horrible. I haven't seen it yet. What? Any of them? I, I, I know. <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I've seen most of them. I haven't seen the last one, um, but I I get it. It's very much in keeping with the Toy Story uh, theme, you know, which is, you know, how amazing toys are through the eyes of a kid and how it doesn't matter if it's Buzz Lightyear or Woody. They can all play in the same universe. They can all have incredible adventures, adventures and Forky's just part of the crew now and i know that i my brother was more like um like bonnie is uh in that he played with all of his figures and together and had big giant epic you know uh, adventures where they would all climb the stairs together or you know something basic like that but i used to look at my little brother and and i remember like kind of marveling that you know, some crappy little plastic character that was obviously really cheap, maybe out of a gumball machine was playing next to like a really nice collectible action figure. And they were on the same team and they were both, you know, doing their thing. So I can kind of get that, you know, and and I like that toy story, the toy story franchise has tapped into that uh, mentality that really only children have. Um, And I feel like he's, Interesting enough to carry a series of, of uh, short films like this. Uh, I think there's limitations. It's it's already to me starting to get a little samey. It's like okay, yeah, no, he doesn't he doesn't get anything. We got it. He's a freaking spork. <laughs> but you know, I, I get it. It's cute. I don't know how many more they're gonna do. Yeah, the how many more is one question that I had, and I couldn't find an answer to it. But it's interesting to me that the rewatchability is there for children because mm-hmm. I look at my kids and if there was a counter on Disney Plus as to how many times you specifically seen anything, <laughs> I'm assuming <laughs> that the Forky shorts are in the hundreds at this point because they can <laughs> just watch them back to 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 back and they mm-hmm. laugh every time. Especially when they get to the 
when they watch What is a Friend and they get the, hey, this is my friend. What? No. Lynette and I <laughs> joke about that ourselves. And it's one of the funniest lines, I think, in all of them. And it's <clears throat> it's two words. But it's just yeah. the delivery that Tony Hale has for some of these lines that really sell the character and really sell what Forky is. You know, yeah. that like this, you know, he's a spork, essentially, like you said. But the rewatchability, I think, for children is that they deliver a good message, but they deliver it with some humor and they deliver it really quickly. You know, you don't have to yeah. watch this 20, 30, 40, one hour video to get that message through. And I think that's why for a lot of people, they're rewatchable. Uh, mm. I, I do think that it does have an expiration date like you said i i don't think that you can keep creating these well i you know what i take that back i think you can because if you pick and choose the ones that you like the most after watching all of them i think for some people a lot will have the rewatchability because you can never run out of topics yeah right he can basically talk about anything and it's yeah. always going to to fit this mold but, uh, yeah, for me personally, even though I kind of see my kids watching them in the background, I've not, and, and just knowing that they've seen them so many times, I could tell you not once have I told them, okay, guys, let's move on. Let's watch something else now. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of okay with watching them over and over. Nice. I don't know well, what good. it is about it, but there's other things that they've been watching that I... I kind of see the same episodes over and over and I just ask mm -hmm. them, okay guys, let's watch something else now. It's, it's enough yeah. with that. Well, two thoughts. Um, I, I feel like um, they, they might be able to get away with doing a few more for sure. Um, especially if they want to go current affairs. So like, what if the next one is what is impeachment? Uh, that'd be funny. Uh, but <laughs> I like to me, like the only directly comparable thing in the Pixar universe is Mater's tales. Right. Right. It's the only time we've had a series of one character shorts uh, in Pixar that I can recall anyway. And I feel like they're they're able to go into much more creative scenarios. And there's a, a broader variety of shenanigans that Mater can get himself up to in those than Forky just learning about life in the world I, because it's also uh contained i guess that's why yeah. i kind of feel like there's limitations because it's just him going to one of the other toys and asking a basic question and then explaining it to him right uh so it's like through forky we're getting a tour of the cast kind of and like you know each one is uniquely equipped to respond you know like ham obviously is going to answer what is money because uh, he's a piggy bank um, but so on a physical level, you have the limitation of however many toys Bonnie has on one level, but then also you just have a limitation of it just getting too repetitive, I think. Yeah. But that being said, there are many, many repetitive things out there that I love. And it's just the fact that it's executed so well. And maybe these will fall into that category. It's hard to say until they do like 10. Yeah. Uh, so your comment about asking ham about money. And because, mm -hmm. you know, he's a piggy bank, watch what is time. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and, and you might see how they kind of will begin to break that pattern. Okay. And nice. how 
they may be able to get away with that a little bit longer than you think. Got it. So I like it. So yeah, okay. So uh, keeping with Pixar, then let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about Spark Shorts. Yeah, Spark Shorts, Ooh. I think, have been the most game changer thing that Disney and Pixar have done this year, uh, if in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, let's start uh, with you, Mel. What's your favorite yeah. Spark Short so far? If you have one. I want to say a uh, tie between Kipple and um, Float. Okay. What about you, Gavin? I still like Pearl the best. I would say mine is between Kipple and Pearl. But I, mm-hmm. I, I like Pearl a little bit more. One, because it was so shocking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to watch. Yeah. It, was, it was the boldest. It was the yeah. most um, in-your-face statement. And it was a really kind of absurd and hilarious but uh, meaningful presentation uh, in, you know, having a ball of yarn work in an office full of suits, uh, yeah. which was hilarious. Um, yeah, I, I, I think there's a reason they pushed that one out first. You know, they wanted to hit it with a splash and I think they did that. And I'm, and I'm hopeful that maybe their last couple will be their next big splashes as well. But yeah, to me so far, Pearl is the best overall film. You said one word that I think wrapped it up for me is meaningful. Mm -hmm. All the other ones, I think, have a really great message, and I think people will connect with a lot of them on different levels. You know, Mel, Mm -hmm. you talked a little bit last week about why float means a lot more to you than some of the other ones Mm -hmm. do. But like you said, Gavin, the meaning behind Pearl, I think, is what really solidified it for me as just being one of those breakaway animations for the Disney company and, and Pixar that really are starting to bring some of those issues to the forefront of, of animation that they haven't really done before. You know, they've kind of tiptoed around a lot of those subjects before, but this was just in your face. You know, it was, it was there and you can't get around the message and you can't get around how it's so easy to fix some of these things that go on in the world. If you see it, think about it, act on it a little bit differently than what the status quo currently is. And so for that reason, I think why Pearl stands uh, above, um, for me as well. Um, and then just Kipple, man, uh, I just, how the, it. The, the dog is treated and just mm-hmm. I yeah. I, again it's one of those messages that is is there is just not as open as people tend to think that it is you know so right. the spark shorts I think are going to be a super important vehicle for Disney and Pixar going forward to really sh- one allow animators directors to really put their own spin on, on the stories that they want to tell without being completely in the Disney umbrella that we're currently used to seeing. But, uh, you know, for them, it serves the purpose of finding new animators and finding new talent that they can use for future uh, film projects. As far as people, cultures, everything, religions, like really voicing how they may feel in the world and voicing how we can make change in the world. Mm -hmm. I think the spark shorts are going to be one of the most important vehicles that Disney and Pixar have in the next year or so to, to really put some of that change forward. I think so too. I also think that, um, but there's this interesting question of, 
um, why they're not doing shorts in front of their films anymore. Because uh, I think it's the last three Disney or Pixar films have not had any shorts in front of them, uh, which, you know, we're all used to, as certainly with Pixar, always getting a short at the beginning. But mm-hmm. and I think there's something to do with what the this Spark Shorts thing is, where they're trying to um, present things that, you know, like certainly Pearl, you can't put in front of a G-rated Pixar movie. You, just, right. you can't do it, right? right? Uh, and probably not Kitbull either, um, based on you know some of the disturbing images and that might upset, especially kids. Um, so it's almost like they needed to find a venue because they want to say more things. They want to be able to, you know, present broader messages. It makes me wonder if their films will ever get to that point, and we might see PG or even PG thirteen films from. Disney and Pixar in the animated realm that um, get into issues and important statements that need to be made there. I can tell you there are other animation studios in the world that are making bold, hard, tough statements in feature animation that Disney and Pixar have never been willing to come close to touching. Uh, The thing that jumps to mind for me is a film called The Breadwinner from Cartoon Saloon. Mm. Uh, If you've never watched that film, I highly, highly recommend watching it. Uh, I do believe it's currently on Netflix. Um, It will open your eyes and break your heart um, in all of the best ways. Um, And it says some very bold and important things. I am hopeful that maybe this will lead um, Disney and Pixar. Maybe they create a third label under which these more grown up titles can exist. But they're so powerful in their storytelling. They're so good at their craft that if they wanted to really tell a message, I think they've stuck a toe in the pool, you know, with things like Zootopia, for example. Or if we're talking about short films, maybe even something like Sanjay's Super Team, mm-hmm. you know, kind of get to the fringe of some of this stuff, you know, where they're really making statements about the world we live in and so the society that we are in and the society that we want to be in. Uh, I'm hopeful that this may steer them towards, you know, making real artistic impact on the world. Yeah. So one thing that you brought up that I just want to touch on is the them not having shorts at the beginning of their films. Mm-hmm. Toy Story 4 is actually the first one that they haven't included a short in front of. What was in front of Cars 3? I didn't think there was one in front of Cars 3. Uh, Lou. Oh, I thought that was in front of Finding Dory. Okay. No, Finding yeah, Dory so was Lou. Piper. And Got then it. Incredibles 2 had Bow. So uh, oh, from from Cars, Cars 3, if you if you think <clears> back <throat> to Finding Dory... Almost every other film has been Walt Disney animation, which don't tend mm-hmm. to have the shorts in front of them. So we had Finding Dory, and then we had Moana, which was Disney. Cars mm-hmm. 3, Coco, and Incredibles, which all had shorts. Then Ralph Breaks the Internet, Walt Disney animation. Toy Story mm-hmm. 4, the first Pixar film not to have a short. Then we had um, Frozen 2. And I, I know Frozen 2 didn't have one. So right. Toy Story 4, for the reasons that you mentioned 
could be the case as to why Toy Story 4 didn't have a short in front of it because they really do want the the Spark shorts to be that catalyst of change and to be yeah. uh, the driver for how they deliver these messages, new animation, new technology, and so on going forward. So that's a really great point. So let's move on to Frozen 2. I know you've both have seen it. Unfortunately, I had an emergency that I had to deal with and I couldn't watch it. So uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll finally get a chance to watch that film. Um, But Frozen 2 is on track to being that next billion dollar film for Disney. I think as of the recording of this episode, we're at $738.5 million with 130 plus opening weekend. You know, you mentioned earlier uh, about Disney creating something with the sense of a series in mind, you know, and mm-hmm. the, as, if it's created as a series, then great. But this one was not created in the sense of a series. This was definitely a, hey, this made us a lot of money. Let's make a second one. How does your perception of Frozen 2 change from that comment to how you feel about what Frozen 2 was for you after watching it? Um, that is a great question. I feel like Frozen 2 is in some ways an exception to that comment because they put a lot of work into weaving this story into Frozen. Uh, they did a lot of flashback and a lot of backstory that makes a lot of what happens in both films play together uh, pretty seamlessly. I was impressed by that. They did a really good job, better than most. Mm. Um, And they invented a lot, or they didn't invent, they created a lot, brought us a lot of new story content in this film that I never expected. You know, even based on any of the trailers, like there were surprises around every single corner. There were moments of, wait, what? No way. Like uh, throughout, Uh, like I was really, really taken aback by the uh, storytelling in Frozen 2. So on that level, I feel like as a shoehorn, they did the best job possible, like best case scenario with Frozen 2. So you guys know my stance on Frozen. Yep. <sighs> and surprisingly, this was actually a really good film. <clears throat> and the reason I say that is because, well, I, I will admit, there was a rough start for me. A little bit of a rough start because it was kind of like, no, we'll just say that. <laughs> when you guys see it, you'll understand. Yeah. So once you get past that, um, this film didn't even feel like a sequel. Like it was meant. It's kind of weird to explain. Um, it it was like a second story, but like Gavin explained, it does intermingle with the first one very well. Yeah. What I really I really appreciated is how do I say? It? Gosh, I'm trying to. Okay, <laughs> no spoilers. They acknowledged a lot of how I felt about frozen let's just say that Mm -hmm. and i i was like okay cool i'm not the only one who thinks like this it's stunning meta (laughs) (laughs) it's really stunning it's beautiful i mean there's parts where i'm like 
gosh, they they went a certain way. And it's like they hit you. I did not cry. But there are parts that are just like, dang, it's hard. It's so hard to talk about it without having to say anything. But they did a great job at storyline and just having fun. But at the same time, like I said, they acknowledged a lot of what they probably may have heard or whatnot. But this was like its own thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, I walked out like pretty satisfied. That's awesome. Hey, you kind of hit on a phrase in there um, where it kind of felt like the same film. I agree. It almost it feels less like a sequel and more like we just had um, a six year intermission in a really long film. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it does feel like it's chapter two or, you know, act two of the same story. And that's why mm -hmm. I was impressed because it didn't feel like, oh, OK, we're just going to make up stuff to kind of make it work. Yeah. They, they put in the work to make it mm -hmm. feel like it's woven into the original film. Um, you mentioned visually, uh, this is head and shoulders above the first film visually. Oh yeah. That was my biggest criticism of the first film is the animation quality was a step backward, uh, from the films that preceded it. I, I was not impressed. And this was, uh, as far as environments and, and settings was pure eye candy, absolutely gorgeous design work um the character animation has improved uh i i have a problem with a couple characters still they just move in a weird awkward way i'm looking at you elsa <laughs> she's but a gazelle dude than, i guess i don't know what she is man it's i i don't i don't get it but no it it yeah i i liked this film i'm still the Frozen franchise is, to me, a very confusing place. You know, there's a lot of weirdness about it. Um, and I, I still kind of have that same sense from Frozen 2. But I think I like this one overall better. The music in the first film is unstoppably good. It's just fantastic. The music in the second film is pretty good. There's a lot more of it. I feel like there's a song in every scene, um, but it's pretty good. And they do a couple of really hilarious things with it. Um, there's one in, right in the middle of the movie that is just, if you haven't heard about it, I don't want to say anything because it's one of the most delightful surprises Disney animation <laughs> has ever given us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting, fascinating film. And I walked away from it going, okay, that's a lot to unpack. And I've spent uh, about five days trying to unpack it. And now I'm in that place where I got to see it again. Oh, interesting. Um, I got to experience it again. I want to, I've had some discussions with some people who told me about things early on in the film that really foreshadow that. The first time you watch it, you don't really get. Uh, so I want to go back and watch it for those and really just absorb it fully. Um, so I I mean, it was it's pretty cool. I recommend everybody go see it, regardless of your uh, frozen um, hatred. Right. If, if I could see it, you guys could see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this then. 
was it the Lord of the Rings movies that originally filmed one after another the way that Endgame uh, Infinity yeah. War and Endgame kind of filmed together but then they split it up as different releases like yeah that's the first one I'm aware of yeah Lord of the Rings right so it, mm-hmm. it it almost sounds like what you're saying is that that's what it feels like, that it was originally planned like this, but they couldn't tell the entire story the first time. This is just kind of her going out to discover everything that made her in the first film. Yes. Okay. Yes. Do you think there's going to be a third? Um, <clears throat> well, I was going to make this comment on Toy Story 4, too. Uh, if you make a billion dollars, what's going to stop them from making another one? True. You know, uh, with the Toy Story franchise, if they give us Toy Story five, they're they're in serious land before time territory at that point. <laughs> I've said that before, but it's it's going to get watered down. Um, trilogies seem to be kind of the nice landing spot for a lot of films. Um, but again, I, I think with these kinds of things, like just give us little short films now. Just tell us little little stories that happen along the way. We don't need more more of this. I, I feel satisfied. I would prefer something brand new. You know, I'm looking forward to the next two releases in Onward and Soul because they're new. You know, they're standalone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I would be interested, though, if one of these studios takes the approach of Marvel or Star Wars and says... We're going to give you a series of films. We're writing, you know, a trilogy or a five film series and just, you know, goes for it. I think because of the investment level, the amount of money it costs versus the amount of money you make on animation, that that cost ratio is a lot less profitable than live action films in most cases. So I don't think they ever will, but I'd be interested to see what they would do with something like that. So that that actually brings up a really great point that I I think might skew your point of view on that slightly, and that's Disney Plus. With Disney Plus trying to generate as much content as possible the way that Amazon, Hulu, Netflix does with their original content, I feel like we may end up seeing those types of deals being created more in the upcoming years because they're going to want to keep consumers on the platform. So the same way that, you know, we're getting these original series and these original mini series on these other platforms, Disney Plus might be doing the same, especially with a franchise uh, that that they consider to be profitable. It may not be completely feature film, but what if it was exclusive to the platform and that's what people want to see? So that might be the only thing that I can see would kind of alter what you said. Because I believe everything that you're saying. I just feel that that might be the one thing that could skew that comment. Yeah, uh, that that may be. I I think it'd be interesting to see if that would ever come to fruition. Uh, I want to throw out some numbers real quick before we move on to the last little thing, which I don't think any of us have watched. Uh, I could be wrong. Uh, We said that Frozen 2 is on track to break a billion uh, that will make it the number 10 uh, or the 10th movie um, in animation history to break a billion dollars. Um, but that's only because currently, at least according to Wikipedia, the highest grossing animated film of all time is 2019's The Lion King. So they're considering the live action Lion King to be an animated film, which basically it is. Yeah. 
Um, that's actually at $1.65 billion, uh, right above Frozen at $1.3 billion. Wow. Um, so that's interesting. If we take out Lion King as not a traditionally animated movie, Frozen is still on top. Um, I think based on the numbers we're seeing, I can't imagine Frozen 2 will not be the new queen of animation. Yeah. I see it actually going past that easily, you know, in the next mm-hmm. several weeks, especially. You think it could be the first ever $2 billion um, animated movie? Um, I mean, with as many weeks as we have before, like the Christmas break, um, I don't, I don't think so. I think it might hit somewhere around one seven five, one eight, uh, but I think it might kind of fall around there. I don't. I mm-hmm. mean, I could be wrong. It could develop this crazy trend, and develop the same type of viral marketing that Frozen had, but. I've I've heard more songs from the soundtrack. I don't see many of the song. I love the the feature song on the on the film, but I don't see many of those songs really picking up steam online. You yeah. know, and and I think that's the problem that one of the main drivers for Frozen was Let It Go. I agree. the The music was the driving force of Frozen, but I think the scenes and the story are the driving force of Frozen Two. And that song yeah. that you mentioned, that scene is more impactful than any scene in Frozen. It's rad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it it's it is it it is different in a lot of ways. So. Uh, they also did that stupid Pua thing. Uh, I'm referencing Pua from Moana, where um, the character was in all of the marketing and 3% of the film. <laughs> and I'm talking about the little lizard character that we see in all the trailers is barely in the film. Sorry to burst any bubbles and spoil it, but just don't expect to see that character a lot. Interesting. Or I was disappointed because I thought it was like a new sidekick and I was pumped. Or like the pancake scene. Yes, like the <laughs> pancake scene. <laughs> it was See, in that's all the trailers. What needs to be on Disney Plus. <laughs> so yeah, maybe on Disney Plus we're going to get some shorts with Olaf and that new lizard character. Well so the new duo of Arendelle. That brings up something I wanted to mention to you guys. I think one of our armchair imagineerings in the near future should be Disney Plus, because I have ideas, and I'm sure you guys for do show too. pitching. Yes, nice. <laughs> All right, it's time for those buddy cop movies. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, the last thing we've got on our list is a Disney TV animated show that came out this year called Amphibia. Yeah. Have you guys seen any of that? No. What? I haven't no, either. No. I didn't even know it was a thing until I started looking up uh, the things that came out. Um, so, yeah, I've got no idea what that is. Yeah, so I was aware of Amphibia because it turned out to be a really huge thing after Comic-Con. It was one oh. of the things that was featured. There was like the sneak peek and it kind of leaked. The first thing that it struck me as was, ah, this looks so much like Gravity Falls that I... It wasn't instantly deterred by it. I just I just felt like they're really trying to copy that style. And then my brother actually made a really good point and said, well, 
everything kind of looks like that because they're all using the same animation software to do their job. They're all using Toon Boom. Mm -hmm. So technically everything does look the same. And once you put that in my head, I kind of understood, you know, where, where we're going with animation and I totally get it. I I was able to put that semi bias aside, I guess. Uh, I pulled the description from Wikipedia because I have not seen the show, but it reads, The series chronicles the adventures of a self-centered 13-year-old Thai-American girl named Anne Bunchoi. After stealing a mysterious music box on her birthday at the advice of Sasha, she is magically transported to Amphibia, a wild marshland-themed lily pad-shaped island full of talking frog people and giant versions of smaller animals. She soon meets and befriends an adventurous 10-year-old frog named Sprig Planter, who will guide her to be a true hero while discovering the first true friendship of her life as she lives with the Planter family. In addition, she also must help the frog people of Wartwood deal with the toad people of Toad Tower led by Captain Grime. So the premise, it sounds weird to say that it's one of the most original premises that I've heard in a while, but it seems like Mm -hmm. this crazy mishmash of a lot of other premises to create this new one, right? Yeah. Um, I I don't really, I haven't really seen it, so I I don't have much to talk about, but just kind of knowing what the premise is, is it something you want to watch? It looks pretty fun. I, I just looked it up too, and season one is all on Disney+. Plus. There's 20 episodes on there, so, I mean, I could see myself putting it on while I'm in my art studio doing a painting. I might check it out. So, my immediate question was, do we ever get anything or any information about Newt? And I wonder if this would have been like I forgot about that Newt. little. Remember how Newt was supposed to be a movie mm-hmm. many years ago? So I wonder if it was like uh, if they took that little ball of inspiration, just whoop, maybe brought yeah. us this. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that that's interesting <clears throat> if that's what it was turned into. <clears throat> I mean, it has a a pretty good cast. I mean, we have Brenda Song, who I think a lot of people saw on The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Uh, Justin Feldbinger, yeah. who was uh, on The Lion Guard. And uh, Bill Farmer, the voice of Goofy, is on this show. Um, Amanda Layton. Sold. You know, I, I think she's done voices for Powerpuff Girls and Trolls with Bill Farmer alone. You know, I think it has the voice power to really uh, attract a lot of hardcore Disney nerds as far as adding something to to what you can say. Well, I've heard Bill Farmer in this, if anything, mm-hmm. you know, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's so much to watch, especially right now. I think for the new, maybe Disney knew that with the addition of Disney Plus, putting out new animated series wasn't going to be the best until Disney plus picked up traction because they knew people were going to be storming off to relive their childhoods and be watching the old stuff, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Plus I think as Disney plus matures, we will get more of these series. And I don't think they're going to go on Disney Channel. I don't think they're going to go on Disney XD. I think they're going to be specific for Disney Plus going forward. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. probably why we only saw one animated series get released this year. 
And it was probably yeah. because they needed something oh. new because they were losing some of the other series that were already happening. So uh, I guess time will tell as far as what we end up seeing on the on the service. Yeah, it, it's interesting that this was the only one, but I, I would say that's probably why. So, I mean, that, that kind of wraps up our talk for Disney Pixar animated films and shows for 2019. Uh, we want to hear from you. You know, how did you feel about some of these releases? Uh, how do you feel about some of the sequels and especially the Spark Shorts? Uh, I think the Spark Shorts, n not even this year, like we said earlier, I think those are going to be the ones that really carry a lot of the conversations going forward for Disney and Pixar Animation. We particularly want to hear how you feel about those. Um, and then just as a fun question, are you tired of Forky yet? And how long do you think it'll be before you get tired of Forky with the Forky Ask a Question shorts that are there? So join the conversation over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on the blog post for this episode by leaving a comment over at podcateers.com slash 285. And that's it. Is there anything either of you wanted to add before we wrap up this episode? I uh, can't wait to get back to my Disney Plus. Got shows to watch. Yep. Right. I have a feeling. <laughs> I got to watch that next episode of The Mandalorian. I honestly didn't yes, think I'd be this much into Disney Plus, but I am loving it. Yep. Uh, I agree. All right. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. So until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Major look.